0: Hey, good morning, Harmony. Good morning. Yes, all right. You guys are hopping today, huh? Uh, my name's Kent. I am the lead pastor here. I want to welcome you. Super glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. I would like to pray, and then we'll jump into this morning's sermon. So if you guys are by your heads, let's do that. Uh, Jesus, I, I'm really grateful that you love me. Um, you, know, you know who I am at my deepest core in ways that other people don't. And I'm just grateful that you, you still love me. And that you look at me and you call me your child. I pray for anybody in here, God, who's had a rough week, maybe a rough month or a rough year already. And I just pray that you would be their source this morning, that you'd show up, you'd speak deeply into their hearts and that, God, your story would come alive for us today. I love you so much. And I thank you for uh, how you've come alive to me. And um, I just want to keep following you for the rest of my life. It's in your name that I pray, amen. Uh, So do you guys have things you're not good at? Anybody? Like, I want to tell you something super shocking. I am not good at everything, all right? I know, I know you thought Kent has got to be good at everything. I'm not. I just want, I want to get that out there in the open. Uh, actually, one of the things that I am terrible at is geometry. Did anybody take geometry in high school? Yeah. I, were you good at geometry? Like, I, pff, I took geometry, and it, I, I literally got an F in geometry, all right? That's this why I went into ministry. You don't have to do much math here, all right? Uh, that's not why, but... It was a huge contributing factor uh <laughs> uh i I got an F the second semester. I got a D. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, I, just, I was really good at algebra. I got A's in algebra. I, algebra 2, I got A's. Do not let me like create angles and stuff because I'll mess them up, evidently. Uh, but then I went to college and I thought, okay, all those days are behind me. I'd kind of turn a corner. I'm going to work hard and get good grades. And then in college, we had these two classes that I also struggled with. And they both started with a G. There was g- geography and grammar. Like, first of all, who takes... College geography and grammar. Did anybody else do that? No, because you weren't nerds, right? Okay, you did. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, at Bible college, you had to take those. It was such a weird thing. And I literally could not get my brain to work for these subjects. I figured out that anything that starts with a G, except for God and Galatians, like I was not going to be good at, right? I just, I, I went to geography and I... Couldn't, we had to memorize maps, and I could not memorize the maps, and we had to memorize all these Bible places. It's funny, because like now half of what I do is preach on Bible places, but I could not memorize those places. I took grammar. They, in Bible college, you have to take grammar, because if you want to take Greek, which I realized I was not good at g-things, so I didn't take Greek, but uh, <laughs> you have to take grammar in order to take Greek, Greek. and I, I literally took grammar, and in college, no joke, I'm in college. I got to the point where I was watching Conjunction Junction. Do you remember that show? <laughs> Conjunction Junction, what's your function? That's all I can remember from it. I, I, I literally to this day cannot tell you what a prepositional phrase is. I still like I my it does not stick in my brain. My wife has told me a million times, you, some of you will try to fix this in me in me and it, you will not fix it. I I can't do it. I can use I think I use them. I don't know you guys can tell me later if I do, but I, it doesn't stick in my brain. Do you have things like that? Uh, I think it's probably like a learning disability. I don't know. My wife says it's mental instability. Um, I,
1: <laughs> she doesn't really
0: say that. I just thought it was funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm legit on this. I, those things don't work in my brain. Do you have things like this? Like that there are just some, sometimes things that just don't make sense. Do you have those things in your life? sometimes things just don't make sense, right? Like, for instance, I have counseled people in my office, and I won't say names or anything, this is actually from a long time ago, but I I remember a buddy coming up to me, and he said, Kent, uh, I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, what's wrong? And he said, "Um, my wife came to me this week, and she told me that after all these years of marriage, that she just doesn't love me anymore, and she's leaving. And I said, well, did you have any indicators? And he was like, no, I had absolutely no clue. I thought everything was going okay. And because sometimes things just don't make sense, right? You, you maybe have experienced this. Uh, maybe you've interviewed for a job and you thought you crushed it. Anybody ever had one of those interviews where you're like, oh, I nailed that bad boy, right? Uh, I have had this where I thought I crushed it. Years ago, I interviewed at this church. I mean, I left walking. I was like, yeah, those people would be lucky if I let them hire me. You know what I mean? And, and I wasn't really like that. But, uh, I... I, I I, I, I thought like everybody was shaking their head yes and like lit, as I talked and they were like, oh, they're all into it. And then guess what happens? They ghosted me. No, Have you ever had that happen? Like you thought you crushed it and they never talked to you again. What, sometimes things just don't make sense in this life. I've known people who are the hardest workers. They show up early, they stay late, they they put in extra time, they 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 just work, they get accolades from their boss like you're one of our best employees and then when it comes around to layoff times, they're the first one to go. Have you ever known somebody? And it just doesn't make sense. My gut is, if we talked, you would have something like that in your life, whether it's some kind of, like for me, like the learning disability kind of thing, I don't know what to call it, probably somebody out there's like, I know what your problem is, Kent, and my, my wife would like to talk to you if you do that, uh, <laughs> uh, but some of you have had other things that are like those kind of problems where it's like, it just doesn't make sense. We all know what it's like to have things that don't make sense, Right? Today, what I want to do is, we're, today we're going to look at a moment in the life of Abraham. We've been in the story of God. If you don't know this, this is what this series is, and we're literally just unpacking characters from the historical timeline of the Bible. And so today, we're going to look at the, the at, at a moment in the life of Abraham. That, and if you don't know Abraham, he's kind of weird. At one point, his name in the scripture is Abram. And then later his name becomes Abraham. I'm not going to differentiate today. I'm just going to call him Abraham. Just know that sometimes if you were actually reading the scripture, you'd find sometimes he's Abram, sometimes he's Abraham, but I want to look at this moment that doesn't make sense. And then what I want to do is look at how God made sense of it. Does that make sense? <laughs> You're like, no, it doesn't. I want to look at this moment that doesn't make sense, and then look at this moment and how God actually makes sense of it. And I, my goal today is for you to leave going, I don't like Kent, alright? like uh, I am going to mess with you a little bit. I've been doing this for a few weeks now. It's going to mess on the insides. My hope is that you're going to feel some incredible tension through this sermon. Stuff that maybe like you've kind of let yourself think for a second but you you don't really you don't really let it out. And today I'm going to let it out and I'm going to draw you I hope into some tension that makes you go, "What? That just doesn't make sense." You know? Like there are things in this life that just don't make sense and sometimes I think Oh, we're afraid to ask that stuff of the questions, uh, of the scripture. So uh, w- what I want you to hear today is that we're going to see how God is always tying threads from the history of the Old Testament into the life of Jesus. And I think this is going to help make sense of this whole thing. All right? So just stick with me. I'm going to show you in a moment how so- this story from Abraham's life doesn't make sense. And then we're going to unpack it a little bit. And then at the end, I want to show you how I think Jesus helps make sense of it all. Everybody good with that? Say yes, can All right. Does anybody hate that I tell you to do that? Yes, Yes, Kent. Say yes, Kent, if you do. All right, I'm just kidding. Uh, All right, so let me, me what I want to do is tell you a little bit of story, okay? So Abraham, again, remember, he's Abram at some points and Abraham. uh, Actually, uh, as I started to, do a deep dive on his life. One of the things that I found interesting was I was studying it, and I was like, you know what? I started piecing together the lifespans of different people that the Scripture talks about. And did you know that there was a crossover of time between when Noah lived and Abraham lived? Did you know this? Actually, uh, I started researching more. I was like, I wonder if anybody else has pieced this together and how how they thought about it. And I found out that there's an ancient Jewish document called the Book of If you're an American, you say Jasher. If you're Jewish, you would say Yasher, right? Because the J is pronounced with a kind of Y sound. Uh, But the book of Jasher in the ninth chapter, now this is not a biblical document, but the Jewish people do hold it as kind of a tradition or uh, kind of their stories, right? In the book of Jasher, in the ninth chapter, it talks about how Abraham, at that time he was called? Abram, you all have been listening. How Abram lived With Noah and his son Shem for 39 years. Did you know this? Noah is this pivotal, we've talked right about creation, we talked about how God created us to be the managers to bring his goodwill into the world. This is what you are to be doing as God's created humans. This is your role, is to be the managers in creation. We talked about Adam and Eve, and we talked about Noah and, and last week. And, we, and now we're at this point where Noah is alive, and for the last 39 years of his life, what, what the tradition holds is that he lives with his great, I don't know how many greats it is, but his great-great-grandson, Abraham, or Abram. And they live together. And Noah and his son Shem, do you know what they do? They tell Abram the stories of old. They tell them about Yahweh. Can you picture this? Noah with his little grandson, Abram, on his knee. And he's like, Grandpa, Grandpa, tell me the story again. Ah, again. All right, Abram, all right. And he kind of got a little Jewish. I don't know, I can't do that very well. But he's like, Oy vey, let me tell you. And he, he, (laughs) I don't know, I've gone off the rails, stop. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) I'm off the rails this morning. He starts to tell him, these stories. Uh, I, I, Abram, I, was, I remember the day that Yahweh called me and he told me to start building a boat. And I had no clue what it was. I had no clue what was in store. And as Abram gets older, he starts to understand more of the stories that his great-great-grandpa and Shem, his great-great-grandpa, has told him and He learns about following Yahweh in the middle of nobody else being willing to. And can you imagine being Noah who has lived on both sides of the flood? Like he is at this pinnacle moment where everything flips and All the people on this side that he knew who were all in great wickedness. And we talked a lot. If you did not listen to last week's sermon, go listen to it online because it fills in some of the pieces on this and helps hopefully answer some questions about it. But he lives on this side where he's preached repentance to these people and they don't repent and they all end up perishing. And he also lives on this side where he watches the whole world begin to flourish again. And they all turn back into the same people that he preached repent to. He, he sat on both sides and he's realized doesn't matter what you do to humanity. Humanity will always go back to this fallen state. And so he has this little great-grandson, great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson. And he teaches him and he talks to him about Yahweh. And as you follow the story and you pick it up in the scripture, the Old Testament, you find that Abram, as he grows up, he will eventually hear the voice of Yahweh too, call him to do some strange things. Yahweh will say to him, go and go. I want you to leave your father's land. I want you to leave your family. I want you to take very little of what you have. And I want you to go off and just follow me. And when you do, I will take you into a land and I will give, that land will one day become yours. And someday your, your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. They'll be as great as the number of the little, little pieces of sand on the seashore. Abram follows God and he walks out into faith, into trusting him. And uh, what we find is like, you, I could build the story up and make you think Abram and Abraham is this really great guy. But really, Abraham isn't perfect. Did you know that? He's not perfect. We actually catch him lying at some points. We catch him being deceitful. We catch him being manipulated by his wife. Get this. Abram is told that he, he will have a child, he'll have a son, and he doesn't have one. He gets to be kind of elderly, starting to get older, and so his wife, Sarah, is like, I know that God promised this, but I, I don't know what to do. What I'd like you to do is just, I can't bear you a child. So instead, <laughs> sleep with my servant girl, and she'll have a child for you. And Abram is given Hagar. Can you? A couple weeks ago, I talked about uh, if your wife ever asked you if she looks fat and something to like just walk. Right? (laughs) What do you do if your wife is like, "Here, sleep with this other lady"? Like, "Ah, listen to me. You do not touch that. Or you walk away. Okay, right? This is. I I need you to get. This is dysfunctional at its core. This is weird at its core. These, I, I remember when I first read these stories as a Christian, I was like, what's going on? These people aren't moral. Why are they our, like the, the, the people that we look at? But what is, what is significant about their lives is not who they were. Actually, when you read these stories, you find out, oh, they're, they're like us. They're messed up. They're dysfunctional. They are screw-ups. They do stuff wrong. They lie. They cheat. They deceive. Like Some of them go really far into this. What is different about Abram, but what Abram is known for is his faith. Abram is known as a man of faith. When God says to him, imagine right now God coming to you and saying, leave leave Toyota, leave leave Georgetown, leave your job, leave everything you have. What do you say to that? What Abram said was, okay, and he left. So this morning, uh, this is where we come to our story today because the faith part is what brings us to our story, that I'm just telling you, you just can't understand it. Now, I know some of you are gonna read, as I read this, you're gonna go, oh, I know which story this is. I I get it. I I understand that. Again, my hope, I hope by the end of this, I make you a little mad at me, all right? That I create some tension for you that maybe you haven't allowed yourself to feel in the story. Let's jump into it. Are you ready? Genesis chapter 22, verses one through two. Listen to this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, I need to tell you, remember I told you that, that Abram's wife, Abraham's wife, Sarah, she, she has him sleep with his her servant, Hagar, and Hagar does have a child for him. But what, what now God is actually talking about is when, when Sarah is 91 years old, God comes to Abraham, who's 100, and he says, hey, buddy, remember how I promised you? Actually, did you know this? God promises Abraham three times that he will have these these descendants, as numerous as the star. One of the things that I left out when I told you that part is that God said, through your descendants, all the world will be blessed. They will all be blessed because of your descendants. Three times God tells him. Actually, God will tell three different people this. He'll tell Abraham this. He'll tell his son Isaac this. And he'll tell Isaac's son Jacob this, his grandson this. Three times to three different people. And he tells Abraham three times on his own. And he's he's 100 years old. Sarah's a 91. It's one, if you have that, the book that we put together for this sermon series, it is my absolute favorite picture in the book because you have this elderly couple. If you looked at it, there's this elderly, elderly Sarah who has her hands on her pregnant belly while they sit outside. These two kind of Middle Eastern looking folks sit outside of a tent at night. It's my favorite picture because it should blow your mind that God tells a 91-year-old woman she's going to get pregnant. Do you know what she does? Anybody know what she does? I'm, I'm 91 years old right she laughs she laughs when God tells her 91 years old that's what you should do these are real people this is really weird 91 years old, 100 years old, he has, Abraham has had this little miracle child come out. Can you picture him? Weather, worn hands, wrinkled up. He's 100 years old. His face sags and he holds this beautiful baby boy. Isaac, the child of promise. He will raise him, he'll he'll walk through through the wilderness with him. He'll point out things. He'll teach him how to catch a lizard and how to throw a rock. And he'll teach him how to care for the sheep and how to put up a tent and how to build a fire. And he will do all the things. that He's got to get it all done because he's not going to live forever. I've got to teach my boy. Most scholars think the scripture that I just read you comes from about the time that uh, Isaac is probably about 13 years old. We'll find out later that he, he carries stuff on his back you imagine 13 years I mean it may have been even longer but Abraham Abraham has walked with his son this is his child did you hear what God called of him to do go to the region of Moriah now Moriah Mount Moriah is actually where the temple mound is did you know this if you went to Israel today you could go stand on the temple mound that is Mount Moriah that is where that is where this this event takes place that he is taken up onto this mountain. We'll go to this slide in just a second. You, you can take it up. Yeah, sorry, thanks. He, he will go up to Mount Moriah and he will, he will go up there and he's going to be called, what did he call him to do? To sacrifice him. If I'm Abraham, what do I say? I go, I go God, did, you, did I hear you right? I thought you said, take him up there to sacrifice. But like what I heard was, take, take, take him to sacrifice. What, what are you calling me to do? That's not what it, It's very clear when you read the scripture, right? Look, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. This means kill your child and burn him. What? What? Now, when I've preached this before, here's how I've preached it. I've been like, he's, he's being called to give up the promise and follow the promise maker, which is true. This is his promised child. He has been called to to this promise to take this child. He's going to raise him. And what's the child going to do? Three times he's told that all the world will be blessed through this. This is the child. And now God is saying, take the child and kill the child. I I want you to know, we're going to talk about this in a moment, but God condemns this kind of activity regularly in the Old Testament. And now he's calling him to it? (laughs) Something doesn't feel right. Let's keep reading. Genesis chapter 22, 6 through 8. We're going to skip forward to verse 6 through 8. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on his son Isaac. Right. So now I, you can picture Isaac is big enough that he can carry this bundle of wood on his back. He, he placed the wood on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So here's... Abraham his son is carrying the wood he is carrying the fire because they didn't have lighters right so he's got to build a fire and take it with him and he has a knife with him what's the knife going to be used for to kill his son what (sighs) Isaac spoke up this I'm just going to warn you if you're like a tender hearted person this next part is going to rend your heart Isaac spoke up and he said to his father Abraham father yes my son Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, I imagine his voice is quivering, I can't prove it. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. What do you think that walk was like through the desert that day? Well, I mean... Is Abraham talking to him? Probably not. If, it, if it's me, I'm, I'm worried. I'm thinking, I'm tears. I'm thinking back to those moments of teaching him to throw the rock and, and, and here's poor Isaac carrying the wood and he's like, what's going on? Normally my dad's pointing out stuff and he's talking about the, the flora and the fauna and like teaching things and he's just so quiet. Dad, dad, what's going on? I, I, we, I've got the wood, we've got the fire and the knife, but I don't see an animal. Can you picture Abram's, Abraham's face, weather worn, wrinkled, dusty, tear streaked, Isaac quivering, like I don't dad is acting weird. Son, God will provide, and he knows how God's gonna provide. God's gonna provide his son. His son is gonna be the sacrifice. Can I just say this? It just doesn't make sense, right? just doesn't make sense why would god require something of someone like this why doesn't this feel wicked instead of right doesn't i know uh, we're not supposed to ask that kind of question can't but it does right this feels wrong take your child you promised you gave him to him i have i waited 100 years out what he's 113 i don't know how old he is it's pretty far into life and now you want me to kill him now I'm going to sacrifice him. I If it's me, I don't know about you. If it's me, I'm like, uh-uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe I got my lines crossed. I missed, I mixed up what you said. I don't know. Not Abraham. What is going on here? Do you feel the tension? Does your heart break? I want to read you this next part of the passage. It's verse 10, and I actually want to slow it down for just a second because um, I think Moses, who is writing the, and recording the story, I think he intentionally has this story go pretty quick because he doesn't want your heart to be as rent as it's going to be in a moment because I want you to listen to this and I want you to actually put yourself there use your adult imagination to put yourself in this moment watching it and listen to what happens verse 10 oh before I read it don't put it up yet let me yeah. if you were reading in the scriptures at this point you'd find out that Noah or Abraham sorry not Noah Abraham actually has taken the wood off of Isaac's back and he has built an altar that he is going to light on fire eventually. And his plan is he will light it on fire with his dead son's body on top of it. I mean, it's graphic, I know, it's terrible. And he, he, he builds this altar and then he binds his son up like you would an animal and puts him on top of the wood. What do you think Isaac is saying in that moment? Daddy, please, Dad, I don't, I don't know what I did wrong. Dad, please stop, Dad. Dad, well, I promise I'll be a good boy. Please, Dad. Right? And can you picture Abraham just weeping, beholding back all of his words, all of his emotions, all, all of that. What the scripture says in Hebrews is that he, he, all he had was the faith that God could raise the dead. You can read this in book, or Hebrews chapter 11. That's what, that's what people think. Like He must have just had faith that God can raise him from the dead. What is going on? Listen to verse 10. Speaking about Abraham, he has Isaac before him bound up. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. What? Are you kidding me? When people paint this, when great artists have painted this, they paint Abram with his hand raised to strike him. I believe Moses can't personally himself stay in this moment long so immediately he's going to resolve it okay but I need you to stay in it a moment because what is it like to be Isaac bound laying there what does it do to your soul to think about it doesn't it mess with you do you am I wrong are you not asking the question like what in the world is going on here I don't understand it Am, am, am I wrong does this mess with anyone else does it mess with you let's resolve the tension. This is what happens. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. This is what he has said many times to the Lord. Verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy. Right? God stops him. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up. And there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. I know that resolves the tension. Isaac doesn't get killed. But can I just ask the question still? What in the world is going on? I, I mean, what in the world? God takes him all the way to this point. He asks him to do this seemingly wicked thing to kill his own son. And then at the last moment, it almost feels like, Mentally abusive, doesn't it? Like, what in the world? What is going on? I just don't understand the why. Do you? Am I? Am I alone? Anybody else? Am I? I promised you I'd give you some tension this morning, didn't I? so you're like, "Dang it, Kent! Uh, what is going on? I just don't understand it." Could I remember? Um, I told you that there's a thread tied directly between. The past, this passage and the one, the one that I'm about to read, it, there's a thread that's tied between the Old Testament and the New Testament to Jesus. Do you remember that? Do you remember what God says to him as he saves his son? What did he say? Let me read it to you. He says, Now I, I know that you fear God. I know that you fear God. Why? Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And I want to read you this passage. It's probably super familiar to you, but I want to read it with the feelings that you have about Isaac and Abraham. And I want you to hear this, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Can I tell you a secret that's true about Abraham's life and is true about your life and my life? Abraham's life was not really about Abraham. That's what he thought, right? I'll have these nations that'll bless everybody. It'll all come through me. It'll happen. But that's not, it is what happened. But I need you to know it, it wasn't about Abraham. What was it about? It was really about Jesus. It was about this thread that was tied from every moment in Abraham's life to the life of Jesus. You do know, let, let me read, it's, it's really interesting to me because after this moment with Isaac, this is what God says, he again repeats the promise to him: "You'll have all these nations; people will come from you." Blah blah blah. And then he says, "And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed." Why? Because you have obeyed me. You have obeyed me. I. Uh, I need to tell you that inside of Abraham, he carries a certain genetic code, and this genetic code will be passed on from generation to generation to generation until there will be this young woman named Mary who one night, you know the story, right? One night, Mary will be visited by an angel. And the angel will tell her that she will carry in her womb, again, another miraculous pregnancy, like one you can't understand. She'll carry in her womb this little baby and his name will be Jesus. And you know the story, right? Jesus will carry that genetic DNA that came down through Abraham, it will come into him. Remember, all nations will be blessed because of Abraham and his seed. And that Jesus, he will—he he, you, do, you do know that he's not a normal human. He is completely 100% human. But the way the church has always described it, the way the, the scripture describes it, is that he was also 100% God. The God who is this magnificent being that you and I cannot even begin to comprehend or understand. God shoves all of himself down into this person. And he lives this life that is perfect where he walks around and he heals blind people and he restores their sight and he he touches lepers who haven't been touched for like years and years and he raises people's children back from the dead. And he will live this perfect life and he himself will be taken up on top of Mount Moriah. Remember, I told you that was the Temple mound. Did you know that when the Pharisees and the Sadducees judged Jesus... The place where they did that, that seat that they sat in, was on the temple mount. Jesus will be taken to this place of the greatest sacrifices. And he will be judged in front of them. And you you remember what they say, right? They say, let him go! Let him go free! He did nothing wrong! No. No, 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 no. They say, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They will march him out. And do you know, I didn't think about this until this morning when I was taking communion. Do you know what will happen? They will load wood up on his back. Do you know that? And he will carry the wood that he will be sacrificed on except when he is put on the wood and his back is being scraped by it and splinters and all the wounds that have already been given to him and, and the, 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 you know there was a crown of thorns that was put onto his head and beat onto his head. They would, did you know this? They put, they put something over his head and they hit him and struck him and they said, prophesy to us. Who, who's hitting you? Come on, prophet. Tell us who it is. He is up on his altar of sacrifice dying but there's no ram, there's no ram and the, there's no ram in the woods he goes all the way through it all the way to the end see i think that's how god makes sense of the story god is foreshadowing what he himself will do i think i think i think that god wants you to not understand the sacrifice of isaac why So you'll understand how monumental his sacrifice for you was. I think he wants there to be tension. I think he wants you to look at it and go, No! No! Stop! What are you doing, God? Who tells tells somebody to sacrifice their son? What in the world are you doing? And then you breathe this big breath of, Oh, he stopped it. But I think he wants you to feel that so that when he does it, and he doesn't stop it. You'll know exactly the depths of his love for you. For you. See, I think Christians, especially, are super good at believing that God's love is for everybody else, but probably He doesn't love me. Right? You ever known somebody like that? Maybe you feel that. Like, uh, <laughs> could I tell you a little secret? I'm a liar. Could I I tell you a little secret? I I cheat at stuff. I I can have a temper like nobody's business. I, I can keep going on and on, right? The reality is, Jesus, knowing all that about me, he still put the wood on his back. He knew what he was in for. Isaac didn't know. He knew what he was in for. And he took it like a man puts the wood on his back. He marches as far as he can until he finally falls down and somebody else has to help carry it. And then they put the nails in his hands. Do you know the scripture says that he could have called down a legion. This is thousands of angels. One angel could have wiped out the whole city. Thousands of angels he could have called down. He could have just popped the nails out of his hands and stepped off the cross. But he's held there. Why? Because he loved you. And he loved you. And he loved you and you. And he loved me in the midst of my darkest moments. This is what blows me away about uh, grace. That's what this is called, grace. Grace is this undeserved goodness that's given freely to you. What blows me away about it is that Jesus, there's a scripture that says, while we were yet sinners. Basically, while I was doing the worst thing that I've ever done, what's the worst thing you've ever done? Ken, I don't want to think about it. Think about it for a moment. While you were doing that, Jesus looked at you straight in the face and he said, Yeah, I'm doing this for you right now because I love you. That's why I'm doing it. Not, I, I've known so many people who are like, let me just get my life together, let me kind of fix some things, let me, let me, I just need to get some stuff together and then I'll accept Jesus. No. He knew all the stuff you needed to get together. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm still going to die for you right now. I'm still going to do it for you right now. I know all, I know, I know. I know that addiction that you have. I know the way that you think about people in your mind. And I'm dying for you now in the midst of that. It is grace. See, I think you were meant to look at that moment in Isaac's life and be so disturbed. So that when you looked at the cross, you'd be so amazed. It would change everything for you. This morning, we're going to sing this beautiful song in a moment that talks about the cross and what Jesus did for you. But I want to offer you something a little different. You you don't have to do this. It's okay to stay where you're at. But I find there's something pretty pretty powerful that happens when you physically do things. I understand some of you can't like physically get around, maybe it's a little bit difficult with a huge crowd. So don't feel guilty if you just stay where you're at. That's okay. You can use your imagination. But for those of you who can and are able and want to, we're going to sing this song. And I want to offer to you because we have a cross over here. It's not the cross, like it's just a cross, but it's made out of rough and tumble wood. I was talking to my wife and she said, when I felt it, when I actually put my hand on it, it changed how I perceived it. I want to invite you, come up, stand in front of it, put your hand on it, feel the things that would give you splinters. Get the smell in your nose, because it's got a little creosote on it from being a railroad ties. I don't know what theirs would have smelled like, but it wouldn't have smelled pretty. These were, these were ways that you killed criminals. Feel it, touch it, smell. Use your imagination to put yourself in that moment where God himself climbs up onto the pile of wood and he says, I will sacrifice myself. Why? For Kent." I'll do it for Jane. I'll do it for Billy. I'll do it for Crosby. Billy, I don't know. My brain is so messed up. I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you. This morning, what would it look like for you to come up, put your hand on the cross and take all the tension that you felt about Isaac and unload it on him? What some of you don't know is that God really is real. And he really wants you. There is a miracle. There are miracles that happen all the time. What I see them, when I see them happen, is when somebody seeks God with all their heart. He shows up. He is as all, he's as in as you are in. So go all in on him. And you'll find he's really right there ready to meet you. Whenever you're ready, I want to invite you sing this song with us. Go all in with Jesus. If you want to, some of our folks who are wearing the green lanyards there, are prayer counselors, they would love to pray over you. If you want somebody to pray with you, come and find one of them. They'll be standing along this wall over here. Uh, If you need to talk to somebody and make a decision for Jesus for the first time, do it today. This is the time to do it. Whenever you guys are ready, come join me at the cross.